This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Well, good morning, Mr. Hamilton from balmy Prince George, British Columbia. What is it this morning? Uh, oh, God. It was, it was freaking cold. Like, we don't have in days for the schools. When we were growing up, we never had them. But if, the, if it's below minus 20, the kids have to stay inside. And right now, it's showing minus 28. So <laughs> kid, the kids are inside. That's freaking cold. But it's beautiful outside. I'll say it's a dry cold, right? It's, it's it's different than what you guys deal with down there. The the minus two just that that just shuts down the city. I saw the other day with the snow. Well, yeah, yeah in theory, but uh, in Victoria we haven't had anything. We've got nothing. It's clear to million. Uh, it's Vancouver that's the train wreck. So, um, oh yeah, I remember living down there. It was just it's crazy. A little bit of snow and happens every year, and it just turns the city inside out. A buddy of mine. Uh, messaged me the other day. He left his dad's place in East Vancouver and drove to his place in Delta. Should take 25 minutes on the high end on a good day. Took him four hours. Hmm. And he said the bridges were shut down and they're playing slalom. And yeah, just a nightmare. So snow tires are your friend. Snow yeah. tires are your friend. Uh, uh, um. This is a dog-friendly podcast, for the record. It's like, yeah. Um, so, episode one hundred three with our good friend Lee Harrison from Seek Outside. Uh, great podcast, great company, uh, mom and pop shop. Really, um, you know, kind of a vision for needing something better for the backcountry in Colorado, and uh, they have done a fantastic job of building that company and uh, staying true to their roots. Um, you know. One thing you'll notice about our podcast is we bring people on that have a conservation ethic and uh, Seek Outside is no exception, do tons of support across the landscape and uh, it was great to catch up with uh, Lee Harrison um, and just get a, a good feel of what's happening over at Seek Outside. Oh, totally. Uh, I got the pleasure of trying some of their stuff uh, last year, Fly and Hunt with Greg. Just a beautiful tent, super easy to set up, and although it's light, it it bucked the wind and the snow and the rain and kept the heat in, and it was it was awesome. It's a highly highly recommended stuff. Um, okay, so uh, before we jump into the podcast, a uh, couple things we want to talk about. Uh, let's talk about our show. So we've got a huge lineup for our fundraisers in 2023. We've got our Northern fundraiser February. 3rd and 4th in the north of BC and Dawson Creek. And um, for those that don't know, this year we've added a Friday night fun night. It's going to be great. Frontiersman Gear is underwriting that. They're sponsoring it. Um, we're going to do backpack races. we got a ton of giveaways. Uh, Tanner and the team are putting on a great event, and we're super stoked about this. So um, going to have some drinks, going to have some appies, and we're just going to have a great time celebrating wild sheep and conservation. So um, we still have tickets available for that. The Northern is effectively sold out our Saturday night main show. Um, we basically sold 95% of the tickets in the first couple of days. Um, we have a handful of tickets left, so if you're really excited about it, um, get those tickets. They're not going to be around much longer. But the Friday night, we've got some tickets left for that. Um, Kamloops is now on sale, our Kamloops uh, Convention and Annual General Meeting. That's March 10th and 11th. You guessed it, Kamloops, BC. 
don't want to give that one away. And uh, we got a great lineup this year. We got a, a great keynote. Tom Foss is going to con- come and talk about his international hunting experiences. Um, Tom's a leader when it comes to conservation. He just uh, uh, does so much on the landscape to support wild sheep. So it's going to be great to hear from Tom. We got a ton of uh, seminars through our Sheep Hunting University. Life Member Breakfast is bigger and better than ever, underwritten by uh, our good friends over at Yeti. Uh, the Stone Glacier Backpack Races, we've got Horn Aging, we've got Guess the Pack Weight, the list goes on and on and on, and man, it's going to be a blast, Steve, I can't wait for Kamloops. Oh, no doubt, This uh, I, I made it down there for 2020 before we, we had to cancel it on the spot, before we really rolled it out, so this will be my first time uh, being able to attend, so pretty stoked for it, be, be good times. Absolutely. So come join us in Kamloops. Tickets are on sale on the website for all this stuff. Get over to wildsheepsociety.com. Click on the events button. You can pick the Northern Fundraiser, Kamloops Convention, and AGM. And uh, come join us for a great uh, week of uh, celebrating wild sheep or great two events. Um, Of course, we've got our Jurassic in August. And this year, we're adding a new fundraiser. So we're not going to announce it yet, but we got something really new, really cool that we're going to share with you. And that's a June event we're planning. So more on that to come. But come and join us in the north and Kamloops. It's going to be awesome. So, is, is that the one where we break out the pole? And because it's in June, you're wearing very minimal clothing. Or have I already said too much? Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that that would be a negative sales technique <laughs> for this podcast for sure. That would uh, that would really end the the sales quickly. So yeah, but uh, so with that. Let's head over to episode 103 with our good friend Lee Harrison from Seek Outside. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive. Pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. All right. Take two. Awesome. Lee, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Glad to be here. Like I said, glad that uh, Greg reached out and uh, um, and to reiterate, ready to go down whatever rabbit hole you guys are, uh, are wanting to. So I'm game for it all. Awesome, man. Um, so let's let's just start a little bit about um, I guess you and, and I want to jump into all the seek outside stuff. But let's wh- where do you come from? I know you grew up in rifle, so that got you started down the yeah. right path when it comes to the outdoors and hunting. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Rifle, Colorado, which was a fantastic place to grow up. When talking about hunting and fishing and outdoor things, um, oddly enough. I guess not oddly enough, but just like a little hidden gem that, that it's out here in rifle is like, we have a huge world-class climbing, uh, destination in what's called little box Canyon. Um, and just climbers from all over the world, uh, come here to, to climb. So not even in hunting the fishing space, but just like outdoor space in general skiing, you know, we got Aspen snow mass is like an hour and a half away. And we got Powderhorn and Sunlight, two great little mountains to to grow up snowboarding and skiing on. So I was just like thrown into the what I think is the mecca of just outdoor recreation, and it, it was fantastic to grow up in. 
Oh, I can I can imagine just looking at it quick on Google. I had no idea where it was. It's next to antlers. Like, does that not set you up for hunting or what? So it's funny because I actually uh, that's where my parents live still, and that's where I grew up. Is technically antlers, um, but it's it's a rifle zip code or whatever. So on the post it just says rifle, but we we technically live in antlers, and uh, yeah, it's it's like you got rifle and antlers. Um, what do we got? We got all sorts of all, stuff. All you need like, like <laughs> general <laughs> open season county or something, right? That'd be awesome. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> open season, general season county, uh, all that stuff, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just fantastic to grow up uh, here. And, um, you know, my dad was a, was a sportsman, angler, all the good things, and he got me into it. Um, so I'm super appreciative for that because – you know, I, I was playing sports and stuff too, but it's just like that obviously ends at some point. And I'm so glad that I just had this, this activity to just go back into with hunting, fishing and, uh, you know, just all of those things that just jump right back into it. Um, cause I was really big into sports there in my, uh, high school career. So, you know, it was like I took a little break, a couple year break from uh, hunting in September because it was like football season. But it was great to just jump right back into it like I never left because it's like you never left because you just are around it all the time. And then, of course, you got like the fishing in the summer and stuff. It's just there's just everything to do out here. and I just can't get enough of it. So you mentioned climbing and, uh, and, uh, and there's all yeah. this other stuff to do too. And there's all this competitive competition with, uh, you know, hunting and fishing and, and all these other outdoor pursuits, uh, non-consumptive mm-hmm. stuff. Is that something that you did a lot of as well, or was it kind of, you know, your focus hunting and fishing or was it, was there all this other things too? So, yeah. Yeah. My big focus growing up was hunting and fishing, but I did join the climbing club, um, because, you know, all my friends were doing it. We had a climbing gym in our high school, which makes it sound like a big high school. It's not. Um, I think that, you know, someone was just like super into climbing, had some money to donate. And so we got a climbing gym and that kind of got me into climbing, um, which I don't do at all now. Like I said, is like I just jumped right back into hunting and fishing because that's what I knew. And that's what I truly loved and, and still love. Um you know, but I did some climbing for a little bit, tried my hand at that. wasn't bad. wasn't great. Um, I would never trust me to keep you alive on a climbing wall. Just, (laughs) I'll just blatantly say it. Don't put, don't put me at the bottom to keep you alive. Um, yeah, just, just give me a gun bow and, you know, fly rod and, and we're good. But uh, I think I'll stay out oh. of the climbing scene for a little bit longer. <laughs> it sounds in, like in you- my early twenties or in my early twenties, I had a roommate that was totally into the outdoor climbing. So he's like, yeah, you need to get little rosin bag and the shoes that are like three sizes, too small, too small. And, <laughs> them on, and then the, yeah. And then we went out twice, twice total. The first time we went out is, uh, just north of Vancouver to a place called uh, the Smoke Bluffs, which is roughly okay. where Joe lives, Kyle, like right across from him. And just tiny little 50, 60, 70 feet. And you're, you're, you're climbing the crack type thing, right? And going up, and there's probably 10 of us across. There's me and 
uh, my old roommate there and there's four or five groups down and one guy next to us, it was his first or second time. He's halfway up and you hear him scream and then the pop and his shoulder came out as he like, he dropped down Ooh. on belay or whatever they call it and yeah. popped his shoulder out. I'm like, yeah, you know what? No, this does not seem yeah. fun. So went, went a second time and <laughs> couldn't sell my stuff on Kijiji or Craigslist, whatever it was back then quick enough. Yeah. So yeah. I agree with you. Give me a rifle. Yeah. Give me a rifle. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, how I felt. I was like, man, I'm just not, you know, not that good at it enough to be like, and I know I was, you know, didn't really give it a fair college try, but I was like, you know what? I'll just stick to hunting and fishing and, and a little bit of snowboarding in the winter and call it good. I'll, I'll keep it at those few activities and that way I can just focus on some stuff, get, get good at those things and not have to worry about killing myself on some crazy rock wall. Exactly. Yeah. Right on. Yep. So with, um, now with your day job, so you've, uh, you, you went <clears throat> off to university, um, got a, uh, went, went to college and got a degree in marketing and ended up at Seek mm-hmm. Outside. So was that something where like, I want to work in the outdoor space or was that just the way it worked out or was it always a goal for you? Yeah. So that became a goal of mine when I was like a freshman in college, um, to work in the outdoor space. Um, and at first in, um, like high school, I took some marketing classes and that, and then I figured out, okay, I want to do marketing for sure. That's a lot of fun. But then I was like, I'm going to go work for Red Bull because they have offices in Denver. Hmm. And um, then I like spent more time in Denver. I grew up starting, you know, to try to figure out what I want to do. And then I was like, oh, no, never mind. I don't want to live here. This place is awful. There's too many people. There's too much traffic. And I can't be in the mountains in like 15 minutes. So that idea is out. Well, what's the next, like next best thing? And now I think it's the better thing, the better option. Um, but I was like, I should go to work in the hunting space, in the hunting and fishing space. Um, that would probably be a lot of fun. And after that, I just kept looking for jobs. Um, obviously, Seek was in the same town that I was going to college in. So I graduated with a job that I just had got an internship at um, doing real estate marketing and was like, I don't like this. So I'm going to, um, sorry, I'm getting a call. <laughs> I, um, I don't like this, uh, doing this real estate marketing thing. So I'm just going to start really doubling down, applying for jobs. Uh, sent Seek Outside an email and Angie, one of the, one of the co-owners got back to me super quick. Was like, yeah, actually we're looking for someone just like you come on in and we'll do an interview, which it was not an interview. It was a conversation really. And I sat down and talked with Angie and she offered me the job right there. That was back in 2017. Um, now I've gone on to do some other things besides seek outside. And then I've actually recent in the last year and a half have come back to seek outside and, uh, it's kind of been a, a roller coaster of a career of mine, <laughs> but uh, man, it's been fun because I went on uh, to work up in Bozeman, Montana for um, a creative agency doing work for some really cool brands like Yeti Coolers and Kuyu and stuff like that. Um, and just had a ton of fun doing it. Um, and man, it's just, I just feel so blessed, dude, to be um, 
you know, in this role in this industry, because it's just a big family, really, like I, you know, meet guys um, at events, like not even from other companies, just like guys at events. And we become friends on Instagram or, or we see each other at other events. We see each other at a, at a 3D shoot and, you know, you keep in touch and it's just, it's just so awesome to work in this industry. So, um, you know, you, you talked about kind of aspiring to be in the industry when you came out of school. Um, was there, did you have any role models or any mentors or anyone? Did you look at the Sloan Browns or the Ben O'Briens of the world and go, I want to be that guy or, or how does that work for you? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because, uh, Ben, you know, I, I connected with him on LinkedIn. He probably doesn't even know this, but like way before, um, he left Yeti, um, which he was like, in my opinion, like Ben O'Brien, Sloan Brown are like the godfathers of, uh, community marketing. And if you're not familiar with that, you should probably go and like, and, this career, this industry is something you want to do. You should go look into that role, um, community marketing manager roles. They're pretty popular and they're a lot of fun. I mean, if you're a young guy or gal out of college, like that stuff is too much fun. It should not be a position because it's so much fun. But, uh, <laughs> That's um, you know, Ben O'Brien, Sloan Brown, and then also Aaron Hitchens at rock, uh, at rock house motion, um, literally the, the film beyond the roar. And it's funny because I have it saved on my bookmark here on my, uh, on my laptop. I do it on every laptop because for me, it was like my creative awakening, right? I was used to growing up watching sportsman channel pursuit channel. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure you guys have those in Canada. I, I maybe am a little, uh, dumb for not knowing, but, um, yeah, we you know, it's typical hunting TV, you know, and back in the day it's, it was what it was and it wasn't great. Um, I think we can all admit that it wasn't always great. Um, you know, it was what it was and you watched it because it's what you had. And then I watched beyond the roar by rock house and was just completely blown away by what I saw. Um, and that's what really inspired me to get into the marketing and creative space um, in, in the industry. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, th- those were kind of my role models. Um, you know, Adam Foss, Stephen Drake, which it was a, a pleasure to um, just go through the same doors as them um, in, in Bozeman uh, through the same creative agency. Uh, it was like literally, I was like, Felt like I was on hallowed ground, right? Because um, mm-hmm. they were big role models of mine. Adam Foss, Steve Drake, still are. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just been, just been kind of like chasing the dream, chasing their dream ever since uh, my freshman year of college. So that's really cool, Lee. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. You talked about you know the early days and how I guess how hunting TVs changed. Uh, obviously the marketing space and, you know, in how they, you know, the, the outdoor industry sells their products has changed significantly. And, and there's some clear sure. leaders out there. Um, let's talk about the evolution that you've seen and you've been in it for a while now. You've been working in the industry for five years, but before that you were going to school and yeah. you, you've kind of seen this evolution and you knew what it, you were a end user in the early days. And now you're, 
you're on the pointy end of things creating this stuff. So talk about that evolution, yeah. what you've seen, and, and what do you see? Where does it go from here? Yeah, I mean, the evolution, it's like, it's like smartphones, right? Um, they've just exploded with the new tech, new features, biometric scanners, right, on, on for your thumbs. And then it was like all of a sudden we had face scanners. And it was like, whoa, this is like, I feel like we're just zooming through into the future, right? Like it's just like we skipped a whole bunch of steps. Like we should be back at the biometric scanner still. Um, but same thing with the with the hunting industry in terms of marketing and creative. Um, we it's all of a sudden just exploded, and I think that was just out of necessity. People were sick and tired of the same old thing. Um, you know, thanks to so and so outfitters for you know having us out here, blah blah blah. Which again, I'm not trying to like throw shade or whatever, but there was clearly a need for the opposite of that, right? Um, I, I think that people were just ready to start seeing some stuff that they could really um, attach themselves to and that really like spoke to them um, that matched the adventurous kind of hunting and, and fishing that they were used to doing, um, especially out here in like the Western United States and up there in the, you know, Western Canada, British Columbia, this, you know, all those places, the Yukon where it was just like, you know, super aspirational type trips. People were just like hungry to, to take in the stuff that they, um, found relevant to them. And so it was all created out of necessity, but it's just exploded with those, um, these kind of stories across the landscape. And I think that's like where we're at right now is like this big, um, uh, kind of like storytelling marketing um, revolution, you know, similar to the to the uh, online revolution in the workspace and all that stuff. And now like the work from home revolution, I'm calling it right. Uh, we're like in this like storytelling marketing revolution, um, trying to have some like really, really relevant um, experiences for our consumers that you know mostly lives online. Um, but also in events now we've got things like, um, sheep show and all these different banquets. Um, uh, you got Western hunt expo, you got total archery challenges, um, all the, all those different things. I think, uh, um, mountain, um, mountain challenge or something like that. It's another 3d archery shoot, um, for like, kind of like those fitness nuts out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we just want to have a, a a more relevant space for these kind of like highly aspirational folks um, now. And I, I think where it's going is continuing to go in that way. Um, but I think we're starting to dial it back a little bit now in terms of like more conversational stuff, um, not only in marketing materials, but, you know, just in the way we, we sell products. You're starting to see like drops come into play here in the marketing space or in the hunting space now. Um, whereas like that's super conversational. Whereas like, Hey guys, we're going to have this live for you to purchase things tomorrow or tonight or, you know, and it's only going to be available in limited quantities. Get it while you can. And they send out a text message or an email or a social post or all three, um, you know, and, uh, one, the product's got to be there. But I think that people are really liking that. Um, it seems to be popular. 
What's yeah, definitely been a change last couple of years in the way things are done on social with uh, just, just everything in general. The drops are a, a really, really popular one right now. And I totally, totally yeah. see it. Yeah. And I think it's just keeping stuff more conversational, more of like a, it seems like more of a direct line from, from brand to consumer, you know, in, in that style of selling direct to consumer, it's just very conversational, I feel. Yeah, just you brought it up. Are you guys? Uh, do you guys hit all the shows? Are you at Sheep Week and Western Hunter so, and all that stuff? Or you know, we typically haven't, and that's just because we've been so short-staffed uh, in the past. And you know, it, it's hard to get away for like I don't know. Like the show circuit seems like it's like a hundred days long. I feel like now, but you know, it was hard. So then we really had to be uh, choosy about where we went, and that's kind of hard because then. You know, you got a guy in Washington being like, well, I can't make it down to Salt Lake, but I want to see your products too. And it's like, well, then you kind of feel like you're not serving the customer as well as you should. Um, but this year, we're going to be at a lot more shows um, in 2023. Um, we're doing shows in the um, non-consumptive space as well. So that'll be fun. And, and you could come check out products there too. Those are a lot of fun, like uh, Overland Expo. Um you know, the, those shows are just as fun as a, as a hunting convention as well. Can't win any hunts there, but, um, you might be able to win a truck or something. I'm, I'm not too sure, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. So we're doing some more shows, trying to get it in front of people more. Cause we understand that it's, it, it's hard to purchase something like a tent or a backpack before you're able, able to, uh, touch and feel it. Right. See how it works. Um, see how big the the space is actually, you know, when you're inside. So yeah, we've we've definitely heard people loud and clear. We're trying to add a lot more stops on the on the tour. Right on. So um, before we go, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about on that. But before we go there, tell us about Seek Outside, what, the origins and evolution, yeah. where it comes from, and, and kind of the company ethos. Yeah. So we started in 2010. Um, Kevin and Angie, Tim were uh, living in Texas. Kevin was like a, a software security engineer for Cisco. Um, and Kevin, if I, if I mess up any part of your story, I think I've heard it enough now that like, I, I understand <laughs> it, but if I mess it up, I'm sorry. Um, don't, don't fire me, please. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so started in 2010, just out of kind of like, I use the word necessity again, but they, they wanted some products that they could use in the outdoors. They were traveling from Texas to um, Colorado a lot just to go recreate, you know, hike, fish. Um, and then Kevin was getting into hunting as well. And he was like, man, I just, I need something that I can do like all these things with, take it into the shoulder seasons, take it into, you know, uh, November during third season rifle here in Colorado, um, cause you can get an over the counter tag and it's very accessible. Um, and so Angie just was like, okay, well then I'll just, I have this, uh, this, like, I think it was a singer. Um, I, you know, a singer, uh, uh, oh my gosh. Sewing machine. Sewing machine. Yeah, there you go. It's late, okay? Um, I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. Yeah, and so they bought some fabric and started sewing some stuff up, and um, 
you know, decided, hey, we want to move out of Texas. Kevin was like, I want to quit my job. It's becoming a little too corporate for me. Um, you know, and kind of the rest is history. Like I said, it started in 2010 and here we are now. And uh, touching on that corporate thing, Kevin's always been like, I don't want it to ever get as corporate as it was at Cisco or, or even close in for that matter, you know. Um, and so we, we've kept things pretty mom and pop, you know, and we're still a private company. Um, we're not public. We're not owned by anyone except for the Tims, Angie and Kevin, um, you know, and I think for as far as I know, we're going to keep it that way for a while um, and, you know, continue to do our thing. And it might not always be as flashy or honestly as dialed as some of these other big corporations with a lot of money behind them, but it's our way. And we, we really love doing what we do. So that's kind of the ethos right there. Um, you know, there's some other things that go along with that. Like, you know, we want to protect one wild places, the things that inhabit them and these activities, because without them, well, quite frankly, we don't have jobs. Um, and so we're, you know, we're in deep with BHA, Wild Sheep Foundation, you guys, like it's, it's huge for us because without these organizations, it's like, we don't even have a customer base, you know, and without them, we don't have revenue and we don't have jobs, at least not fun ones. Um, so, I mean, in, in terms of the ethos that it, it's, it's simple, but that's, that's what it is. So, uh, that's the one thing that I love about your, the brand seek outside. You guys are you know, really, and you, you talked about, about it on your website about how, you know, um, conservation's importance, um, supporting public lands, um, supporting, uh, you know, like you said, the landscapes that these animals inhabit. Um, and you guys have won awards for this too, right? There's an Alaria Foster award that you guys were awarded for, mm -hmm. for the work that you've done. So that's, that's huge to, to yep. not only, it's one thing to say, yeah, yeah, we support public lands. Yeah, we support wildlife, but to be actually receiving awards for it, it sends a lot about the company, right? Yeah. And like, you know, we were awarded that a while ago and honestly, we, we try to like live in this space of like no lifetime achievement awards and we keep trying to, you know, push the envelope. Like this year we had more boots on the ground days than we've probably ever had, um, in the history that helps when we have more employees who are super passionate about it as well. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard when it's just like five people to get a lot of boots on the ground days, um, to, to, you know, go remove fences, to, um, plant trees, to, uh, you know, go clean up riverways and stuff like that. But we've done a lot more of it this year and we're going to continue to start, you know, putting in more elbow grease, more and more elbow greases as much as we possibly can. Um, because, you know, we were just like, okay, great. We've like donated some money. We donate, you know, uh, gear to be given to veterans for, you know, these, these hunts that are going on. Awesome. That's great. But like, what else, what else are we not doing? And we were like, you know what we need to, you know, we just need to buck up and spend more days in the field, removing fence, digging post holes, pouring concrete for guzzlers or whatever like that that needs to be us 
and uh, you know we're we're going to continue to try to put more more days um, in the field for conservation for wildlife all those good things. So does that come under your purview then, Lee? Are you in charge of, uh, you know, I know quite often community marketing managers are, but you're, I think like your title is marketing, I guess. So is that your job or is there yeah. someone else that's kind of? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's my job and that's, you know, kind of, I was like, you know, we need to be spending more days in the field. Just, you know, we, we, after COVID, it was like, you know, we, we weren't able to do that as much, but it's like that's not an excuse anymore. And we need to step up and, and start being who we say we are again, you know, not that we never were. Um, but it was like, let's do it. Um, and we've, we've spent a lot of days in the field this year, um, doing, doing boots on the ground work and, and had a lot of our employees out, like even some people who don't really hunt or, or really fish, but maybe they go backpacking or they're a climber I mean, they were, out in droves planting trees and it was like if we counted up all the hours as like an individual i think there was like 56 hours spent in one day between seek outside employees or something like that um you know throughout an eight hour day so uh, it was it was fantastic to see the turnout for the uh you know for the those employees who aren't necessarily in the scene, you know, because they're a seam sealer or something and they're going to college and this is like their part-time job. Um, you know, they, they show up too. And, and we're really proud of them because it, it helps us keep our word, you know? That's awesome. So this, this ethos around conservation, giving back, does that, does that come from Angie? Is that, where does that come from? Is that just, you know, a company yep. philosophy or is it really come, is it driven from the top down? It's driven from the top down. I mean, uh, Kevin just had a fundraiser for, I'm going to forget what it was, but Oh, the Gila, the Gila wilderness. Um, he just had a fundraiser for some of the trail systems there in the Gila, um, you know, for his birthday. Like that's like, that's what he did for his like little birthday thing is someone could donate five bucks or whatever to his, little birthday fundraiser and you know the money goes back um i think it was to i think it's to the cdt coalition um is who it goes to eventually um you know to help keep those trails open for through hikers and stuff so it really does come from the top down and uh they kind of lead the charge on that front and and uh, lead by example and that's why i was like you know what as a, as employees, as like a, a forward facing brand, we need to be doing this, um, you know, just as much as uh, Kevin and Angie are. So that's really where it comes from. Right on. So let's talk a little bit about uh, products. Um, and, and I guess I want to talk about innovation sure. too, but let's, let, let's start with products. Like um, obviously when you think seek outside, you're thinking, you know, lightweight, you're thinking, you know, tents, you're thinking backpacks a little bit, but is that, is that kind of the bread and butter of what you guys do? Or is there, you know, is there a best seller that stands out? Let's talk about product a bit. Yeah. So, you know, we, when I, when someone asked me like, Hey, what do you do? Or who is Seek Outside? I say that, you know, we're a, a manufacturer of lightweight backcountry equipment. Um, that's pretty encompassing, but you know, we make really, we make ground tents, um, titanium wood burning stoves, so metal wood burning stoves and backpacks. That's, that's like really our big three categories. 
Um, you know, we, we resell some things from some folks that we admire in the space, like Western Mountaineering or what, you know, whatever, but that those three categories are really our, our mainstays. Um, now our bread and butter are like the hot tent combos, right? So it's those, those tents that we have made specifically to use those wood burning stoves in, um, that can take you well into the winter and, and even all the way into through next spring, um, depending on the size of tent and the size of stove you have. So that's really our bread and butter. You know, that's what, uh, what people know us for. Um, but you know, we also make some really great backpacks that we're really proud of. Um, you know, like I said, we do things differently on purpose. Um, you know, we, we, we don't make our packs look like everyone else's or function like everyone else's because we took some old packs that we had, you know, put our brains together and said, how do we make this better? How do we use different materials? You know, so we're just as proud of those backpack of that backpack line, um, as we are of our, of our hot tent line. And, um, you know, I, I use all the products and I honestly wouldn't use it if, if it just outright sucked. Actually, I probably wouldn't let it hit the market. I, I would fight it every, every step of the way. Um, so yeah, super proud of, of the, of all three of our mainstay lines, but yeah, everyone knows about those hot tents and loves them. Right yeah, I can, I can vouch for that. Greg's got a, I want to yeah. say a 12 man and yeah. we, we used it for for the uh, fly-in last September, like a year ago. And cool. it's got the stove and the the, the, the roll-up the, the chimney pipe. Yeah. And there was mm-hmm. four of us, four of us in there with all our gear, ample room to move around. And it, we put the liner in after the first night because we woke up the, the, the next morning and like, what the hell is dripping on our head? Didn't take into consideration the condensation. So yeah. we put uh, put that yeah. up and what a what a, a game changer. That thing, it was unreal, the wind, because we were kind of at the base of a mountain off a lake and the wind was whipping in and we were like, oh my God, this is going to blow away. Didn't even falter. It was unreal, like super, yeah. super happy with the mind limited experience on it. I think that that's awesome to like hear. I mean, it is awesome to to hear those real world experiences because just to be quite frank, and this is at no fault of your own, you guys did everything wrong. You guys camped near water. That's like really bad for condensation. You guys camped out in the open, really bad for wind. But it's like if our products can't withstand some, you know, you know, some, uh, errors here and there, whether you're setting up, uh, in a Creek bottom where it's really wet and just moist in general, the air down there is just damp. You know, if we can't make products that can, you know, you know, line our, our single wall tents to block that condensation, or if we can't make products that stand up in the wind for a, for a piece of camping equipment, like then we shouldn't be making them. And I think that's awesome to hear those stories where it's like, you know, we, we did everything wrong. We, we camped near water. We camped in a really exposed, you know, area for the wind, but it still did great. And I mean, I love to hear those stories because it's just like, yes, another one, you know? <laughs> yeah, we were definitely limited where we could put it. Kyle's been to that lake. Totally. And it's, mm-hmm. it, we, we put it in the best spot we could and it's still, yeah, we still exactly. gave it a, a hell of a, a hell of a workout and it, it performed well. Yeah. And that's just it. Like, you're in the mountains, you're, you're hunting, you're fishing. Things aren't always perfect. You're, we're not in a 
park. We're not in a, you know, controlled campground. Like we got to work with what we got. And so we got to make products to work with the elements. And, and so, yeah, stoked to hear that. And I'm glad that you, uh, glad you guys had a good time. Yeah, and just like any other product, right? There, there's no perfect product in every environment, right? There's, you know, the perfect <laughs> uh, product in a certain environment, but you take it and put it in a different environment, and that's what you need is something incredibly flexible, right? And so, if you can do yeah. that, you can, you know, you can withstand the wind, the rain, the snow. Um, but it yeah. doesn't matter what you do; you're always going to have conflict. Yeah. Um, real fast, since we're on that flexibility part. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but with that 12 person, if you're ever like, um, man, we cannot find a space big enough. We've, there's, it's just not a space big enough. No way. We're going to have to hike over to the next ridge or whatever to try to find a spot. Um, the guy out points on that 12 person can actually be stake loops. And so we call it flex pitch and you can take it from a 12 person to a six person footprint. Um, and now you have a, a really big sod skirt or, you know, sod, drape, whatever, some people have different names for it. But, uh, yeah, you know, then you can fit it in the spot. You don't have to hike all over God's creation to find a spot to put it up. Just a little hot tip. <laughs> that's good to know. Greg, well, yeah. listen to that. Write that down. <laughs> and honestly, in the mountains, that's incredibly important, right? You know, I've, I've had, you know, tents with a huge footprint. And you just can't, there's nowhere to set them up, right? And it's it's great, it's comfortable. Yeah. You, you know, you maybe have some shelter from the elements for your gear, um, and but you can't set it up anywhere. And that's really a problem in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. So keep that in mind, you know, if you're if you guys are ever looking at seek tents, you know, you can take a, a, a 12 to a 6, 8 to 4, 6 to 3. It's, it can be 4, really, but if you squeeze... <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Right on. So let's talk a little bit about innovation. So you mentioned, I think that originally sure. it was Angie and Kevin were in the mountains and they're like, it was, it was born from uh, necessity. So, you know, obviously the company's grown and changed and, and evolved. How, how, you know, how do you guys innovate? How do you keep up? Um, you know, what, what, what do you do to look at new products and that sort of stuff? Yeah. So, you know, we really look towards the lightweight through hiking community. Um, and we, we draw a lot of inspiration from there, but, but again, like we're like, okay, we can't just, we can't just draw up something that looks exactly like another person's, you know, slap our name on it and call it good. Um, what can we do to innovate? And so that's like where our zipperless line came out of, um, you know, there's no zipper on the whole tent. It's, it's done from, um, paracord and tension uh tension locks you know like like you see on the, on some of our um tents um on the stakeout points you know and uh that's you know we try to draw our inspiration from what lightweight equipment can we make for the hunting crew who is not used to lightweight equipment they're used to a 10 pound empty pack you know big old frame pack or something like that what can we do to make it better or they're used to canvas wall tents and being stuck next to the truck with every other out-of-stater you know um you know what can we do for them to lighten up their load make it just as comfortable for them two three four five however many miles they want to go back let's let's make tents for them and uh you know give them some options there so that's really what we draw our inspiration from 
lightweight backpacking um, mountaineering communities and we really try to drive it home for the hunter and then also you know say through hikers we've made something even better for you because we took all the zippers out they weigh 11 ounces per zipper in your tent um, save 11 ounces there you go so yeah we, we we try to we try to talk to those folks just as much as the hunters sometimes as well well, and, and really that's the inspiration in so many cases, right? Like, and I can't tell you how many times myself and my hunting partner, when we go sheep hunting, we're not looking at other hunters, you know, that's our echo chamber. We, you know, we know that stuff. So we're looking across the yeah. aisle. What are the through hikers? What are the lightweight guys, the mountaineers? What are the, what kind of equipment are they running? Right. And you know, the, yeah. the biggest thing I've found historically with this stuff is that for hunters is that, uh, with through hikers and, they're not used to going from a 50 pound pack to a 90 pound pack. Right. And that's the big challenge. Um, so we've always yeah. found that, you know, as long durability is the big issue. Like I'm always keen on lightweight, but what I don't want is something that's going to break or something that you, you throw an extra 40 pounds on cause you killed something. And now it's just, <clears throat> yep. you'd rather die than Worthless. carry that thing out. Right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like we could use, um, those little like backpacking sacks that are made out of Dyneema, um, but they're only like rated up to like 30 pounds or something, you know, so we could go super lightweight, but at what cost, just like you're saying, you know, you throw not even a quarter, you throw a game bag of like backstraps or something in there. And then it's like, okay, well, might as well leave it up here on the mountain, you know? Well, and that's what I love about what you guys do, right? Is that you, you create this lightweight environment but you're doing it functionally for hunters, right? And that's where, you know, a lot of this stuff outside our, our hunting world is great, lightweight, it's super, but you can't use it because it's just not functional for anything to do. Like, um, and quite often, you know, a lot of this lightweight stuff is like super, like it's very functional for July or August, but, it, you know, October, November, it's a different ball game, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, not all of our products are made for the archery hunter early September. Um, but we do have products made for those guys. And that's like, we're starting to really dial in our line, um, really round it out. We've always had products for basically every season, but then we're going, now we're going one step further and we're saying, okay, what can we make for the sheep hunter in, you know, middle to late August, you know, who, who need just a one person tent that can fit on the side of a mountain that's the big thing is a lot of people were like, man, the, the footprints, they're, they're too big, X, Y, Z, enter Silex, enter Eolus, um, now the Guardian in our zipperless line. And, um, you know, I've used the Silex on, on two sheep hunts now. And uh, it, it's just like, you know, game changer in terms of what, uh, what we were using or what we did have available. Um, and, you know, we lightened it up a lot. Um, a sheep hunter would probably really love to use our, our Silex just because of the, um, lightweight capabilities of it. Uh, definitely will save you some room when, uh, packing your bag for the super cub. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit, but we're going to jump into some of your hunting stuff here in a second, but, uh, let's talk about not consumptive versus non-consumptive c- consumers. Yeah. Um, how, how much of that is, is it? 50-50 or is it mostly the hunting community you guys service or is it, is yeah. it a good mix or? Yeah. So it's like, uh, the better portion of 70% that, uh, um, you know, that are hunters. Um, and then 
we've got people from oh, man all over the space through hikers backpackers you know I'll, I'll separate them because there's some you know weekend warrior backpackers and then you got the through hikers who are like quitting their jobs to go hike trails for three months out of the year or whatever um we got backcountry skiers um, they, they've really started to take, you know, a, a liking to the hot tent systems for their backcountry trips. Um, winter campers, and, I mean, you'd be surprised at how many people are just like, I just want to go camping in the winter and not freeze my ass off, you know? So, um, you know, this is perfect because now I get to go and be in the woods in an awesome time of year. When, in my opinion, I think the woods is the prettiest when it's covered in, you know, frosted trees and, you know, big blanket of snow on the ground. I, I think it's gorgeous. Um, and it's unfortunate that some people just, say, you know, hold up inside the house during that season. Um, so, you know, lots of winter campers. And, uh, yeah, man, now Overlanders are really starting to take a hold of it. We had a review done in Overland Journal. Um uh, they did a review, and and then we it's like we started getting people from kind of like the Overland community asking about us, and we were like, yeah, I mean, we don't see why we why we wouldn't say it's for you, you know, like you know from what you're saying, you you do sounds perfect, great. How you know how can we help you? How what, like what information do you need from us to really make your decision? Um, and go from there. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk products. So from a product perspective, you can only peek. Pick one seek outside product. That's all. You're going on a trip, and you, you can okay. pick anything. What okay. product is that? What do you have to have? Okay, I I'm bringing the Cimarron. Um, you know, and that's even before I I know exactly what the trip is. But I know that um, let's say someone gives me one of those Dyneema sacks as a backpack, and they're like, you have to use this. Um, you know. The Cimarron's still light enough, but it gives me enough room to spread out. Maybe I have another person with me. Maybe I have, you know, another person who's carrying the stove um, and we're in a hot tent situation. You know, I'm typically bringing the Cimarron. Uh, I love that thing. It, it, it's our, it's, it flip-flops between the Cimarron, Red Cliff, and 8-Person as like our most popular hot tent bundle. Um, they, they're always fighting for that number one position. Um, and if, and if you look at it seasonally instead of on the year, then you'll never be able to tell which one's going to win because, you know, in one season it's the eight person and the next season it's the sim next season it's the red cliff. And so, but in my opinion, I'm taking the Cimarron. I've had my Cimarron since 2017. That was the first tent that they gave me, um, to, to take out. It was a seconds. It, this tent was a customer's that put a hole in it. Um, we repaired it, but then we just sent him a new one anyways. Hmm. Um, so I've got a repaired tent from a customer that customer that probably had it for at least one season before I did. So let's say 2016 or something like that. And I still use it. It's not our latest and greatest model. The tie backs are like, you have to tie it back with your hands instead of like, now we got these easy to use toggles and stuff. Um, but yeah, I still run that thing all the time take it hunting no of course i'm using other products too now but if if someone was like you only get one it's that thing it's that one that yeah. specific one down there <laughs> right on yeah it's pretty cool when uh you know you have something and you know i find a lot of gear these days like it's super 
um, it's it's good. It's it's really functional. It's lightweight. It's everything that I want to be. But I find durability is a challenge. Like you know, something I just find that the gear that you had, you know, a long time ago is heavy as hell um, and stuff. But it, it seemed to last. But I find a lot of modern gear. You go through it pretty quick. I go through stuff, and maybe I'm just harder on things than I used to be. I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah. And we find that that comes mostly through construction. You know, mm. materials these days are better than we could have ever hoped for, right? Um, we've definitely haven't moved backwards in materials, and we find most what happens is companies try to cut corners on construction, and that's where they get in trouble. Um, now we've done a lot of things to make sure that we're constructing our tents and our backpacks and our stoves in a way that meets that lightweight specification, right? It's gotta be lightweight. Cause that's, again, th- that's what we need to be, um, for, to allow our consumers, our customers to, to do what they want to do to achieve their goals in the backcountry. That's literally in our, our mission statement. Um, so, you know, it's gotta be lightweight. But it's also got to be durable. We we do say you know we make products um, you know that last a lifetime because they need to be. I don't want to buy a new Redcliffe every year. I don't want to buy a new backpack every year. Um, and quite frankly, you shouldn't have to as a consumer. You should buy this thing. You should use the crap out of it. Beat it up. You know if. Uh, tree branch falls on your tent and you get a hole in it, we should be able to repair it. And for the most part we can, but like I said, sometimes we just end up sending them a new one just so they have something shiny, brand new and shiny to hold on to. But, uh, um, you know, we should be able to repair it. And, uh, if we can't, we're going to replace it. Um, you know, for those like manufacturer things, cause if it's, if it's our fault, you know, we should hold up on our end of the deal and get you a product that's going to, that's going to do the job for you. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's all in the construction nowadays. Materials are going gangbusters. We got, you know, challenge sale cloth and, uh, rip stop by the roll offering Joe Schmoes, people who aren't companies that they can go and buy material and, and make something up themselves. Um, but, you know, again, it's all in the construction, in our opinion, and, and we try to do our best to make sure our construction is dialed. Awesome, man. Okay, let's transition. Let's talk a little bit of hunting. You mentioned two sheep hunts, so we talk sheep, man. Let's yeah. go. <clears throat> let's, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, so my first one um, was the August after all the shutdowns and stuff. Uh, so it was August 2020. Um I was with just a private hunter who wanted it photographed and shot, um, you know, uh, videoed. When I say shot, in my head, that's video, but some people don't draw the correlation. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he wanted it videoed and he wanted it photographed. And, uh, yeah, I worked with the outfitter, Dillinger River Outfitters out of Alaska, um, Alaskan Range, doll sheep hunts, um, at the mouth of the, you know, Dillinger river, they offer caribou hunts and moose hunts. And I'll give them a little shameless plug because they were super awesome. Worked with me and the hunter to get me out there and, uh, and, uh, yeah, collaborate on it. So went on that hunt. Um, unfortunately the weather did not play out the way anyone would have wanted it to. (laughs) 
um lots of days in the tent rainy foggy we actually went after had a shot at um two legal rams both times we couldn't get enough time to get on them with the fog rolling in and out like it was just you know it, it was everything you didn't want out of a sheep hunt but everything you did because it was there was adversity there was a little bit of downtime to read your book or whatever. You know, everyone's taking books with them and, and, you know, kind of expecting that to be their experience. You know, I think it would be, I think it would be kind of sacrilege for a sheep hunter to go up there on, you know, you know, the, the day opens up where they can hunt, you know, the next day after they fly. Um, which correct me if I'm wrong in Canada, do you guys have to wait? You guys have to wait a day after you fly, right? Or can you guys hunt same day? It's six hours. So six hours, you, okay. six hours after, unless it's a regular uh, scheduled aircraft. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep, so if okay. you fly in the back country, if you landed at 10 in the morning, you could hunt that evening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. In the, in the States, you got to wait uh, a full 12 hours or 24 hours or something like that. At one sleep. You got to wait one sleep. Um, so um, yeah, I feel like it'd be kind of, kind of sacrilege for a sheep hunter just to wake up on the first day of their hunt and, shoot a you know legal ram or a, a boone and crockett ram whatever um you know there needs to be a little bit of work that that's involved uh you know i feel like every every sheep hunter wants that wants to have that experience so it, it was fun uh regardless of, of the weather and regardless of not killing a ram um but he's he's already got one on the books again because he's like i this is a dream he had a a sheep engraved on his rifle um, because it was, you know, handed down to him and it had killed, you know, some, some really awesome critters with it. And he was using a seven mm Woodstock, you know, not the latest, greatest. He was like, I'm not shooting out past, um, I think it was 400 or something like that because he just, you know, he's like, this rifle is not built for that. And I don't want to do that. So, uh, actually on one, on one Ram that we got on, uh, he was limited by his distance, and, you know, we tried to make it work, but like I said, with fog rolling in and out, it was just, it was hard. Um, and he put in a lot of work and so it was unfortunate he didn't get anything, but man, when we left, he was all smiles and at the hotel before we, uh, you know, headed back to the lower 48, you know, it was, it was as if he had killed one because he at least went up there and, and gave it the old college try. But yeah, then, uh, the second one was this year, um, and just a, a friend of mine, um, not even actually a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine through a mutual friend, um, got a sheep tag and just invited us because he was like, I use the crap out of Seek Outside gear. Do you just want to come and help me? And I was like, would you like some photos of your trip? And he was like, absolutely. And I was like, great. I will take some photos of you and you can print them off and put them up in your house for absolutely nothing if I get to go with you because I just want to be a part of it. Um, so went with him and, um, man, we sat on Rams for, uh, three days before the season opened, found them, hiked 12 miles back into the back country and here in Colorado, uh, it was a bighorn, you know, Rocky mountain bighorn hunt. Uh, he drew it with one point, um, which, wow. Awesome. It, you know, is amazing is unheard of um is crazy Uh, he was like i can't believe i drew it actually 
Um, and it was awesome. I mean, it was like we made the game plan that night, woke up at three o'clock in the morning, walked with red lights on on our heads for, you know, an hour, hour and a half maybe um, to get into the zone. And then we just sat there and waited for the sun to come up and started making moves, found him, same place we put him to bed. And, you know, he got on him and it was, it was a, a really fun stock because they were all fighting with each other, all their, you know, play fighting with each other and knocking heads. But then, you know, one would push, you know, the lead and, and then he would run and then they would all follow him. So that we had to like play this like cat and mouse game and we were like, getting closer and then they would go run off because they were just messing around. And we, but we finally got within range of, of the, of the Mac daddy Ram in the bunch. And there was like, I don't know, 13 Rams hanging out together wow. and 13 or something like that. And, uh, he made it one shot. Boom. Done. We celebrated. And then, you know, there was two sheep tags for this unit. Another sheep hunter came up underneath us, shot an, another Ram and, when we heard the guide tell the uh, the dude, you got your ram. I mean, we were hooping and hollering from from our ram down to him. Yeah, you you know you did it because uh, you know he looked kind of older, like maybe it was his you know one and only shot at a ram or something. And when we heard the guide yell, "You got your ram," it was like we were just as stoked for him as we were for our own. And hey, you know you want to play off of our good fortune? Go right ahead, man. I think at that point you can't even be mad because you know they got to hike 12 miles just as much as we did um and you know maybe they saw us and gave us the the first uh first trigger pull and so if that was the case kudos to them for being super cool about it but uh man it was just fun i mean colorado backcountry you know we were at like 12,400 feet or something as where the ram lays and uh it was just beautiful he got some great photos of, of him and his Ram and the scenery and I got to be a part of it. Um, you know, and I got to sh- kind of share that. I got to give him a little gift back for, with my skill of photography or whatever, whatever skill I do have. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just, man, it, it was fun. And every chance I get to be on a sheep trip, I'm going to jump at it and I'm going to beg my wife please, can you watch the kid? Cause I need to go on a sheep hunt. You know, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull out the, all the stuff and bring home flowers, chocolates, jewelry. I'm going to do whatever I can to get on another sheep hunt and, you know, and as many more as I can until I, until I, uh, leave this earth. So yeah, man, it's every single time it's fun. Awesome. So if you if you think back now, you've had that experience, you've been on a successful, and that's the thing, that's one thing about sheep hunting that I find is that, you know, not having that success and then getting success is like, wow, like that, you you truly feel like you earn it. Because quite often, you know, you hunt deer, you hunt whatever, you know, you know, you're probably going to come home with some meat if you really want to. But with sheep hunting, there's, yeah. and don't get me wrong, it's the same for, hunting's hunting, I get it. But is that so? Does that stand out for you, or is is there a best hunt? Yeah. Um, and okay. Yeah, it does stand out for me because there is no guarantee. Even, yeah. even with thirteen rams, we were like, man, you know, because we we we're limited, just like everywhere else, on, on the size of of ram we can kill. Um, we're like, man, you know, it's it's got to be these couple, these three, and. 
everything else is too close to call. But these three, we know we've watched them. Hell, we've got, it wasn't just me and the hunter. It was me, the hunter, and three other guys. Because <laughs> he was just like, I want all my friends to be a part of this. And I thought that was super cool of him. Um, and so he had a, he had a friend come out from Washington. He flew, he flew to Colorado from Washington just to do this hunt with him, um, because they were all time hunting buddies. And he was like, absolutely. I'll be there for your sheep hunt. Um, which is just goes to tell you like, again, the hunting industry, the hunting world is just so awesome. You make friends for life over these, uh, activities and yeah, but going back to your question or, or I guess, uh, your findings there, there's just no guarantee. We did not know that they would be in the same place, but we guessed accurately that one time. Um, but, uh, you know, and then we, and then we took advantage of the opportunities we got, you know, once we, it's unfortunate because I never got to see him fight once. I never, Mm -hmm. I heard cracking skulls. I, you know, was hearing my buddy, he brought the Binos up behind me. He said, they're fighting, they're fighting. We got to move, we got to move. We got to, you know, take the opportunity while their heads are down, while they're doing other things. So I never got to see him fight. And I was like, <laughs> man, I'm kind of bummed out. But we we made, we took advantage of the opportunities we had on the hunt to make it successful and capitalized and worked really hard and had a lot of fun doing it. But yeah, it's never guaranteed for sheep hunting because of just where they live, the kind of critter they are. Um, you know, it's, it's hard, hard hunting. That's for sure. Well, you say to a lot of people, oh, there's, there was 13 Rams. It's great. It's like, yeah, but that's 13 Rams that can see you instead of, you Thir- know, yeah, sometimes. Sets of yeah. Eyeballs. yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, and that was the issue. Tough. We were like, you know, Hey, this one's looking down at us. And that's the guy with the, you know, it was mute the camera the uh the hunter in front of me and the guy at the binos you know just keeping track of everything and it was like oh hey they're they're looking down or this one's looking down this one's looking back um hey stop they're they're looking our way okay they're going back to fighting you know and uh yeah it's never it's never just as oh great we got you know we got six bulls to to choose from because there's six bulls fighting over 30 cows that's awesome but now you've got six bulls and 30 cows to try to keep track of you know just yeah. make an elk hunting uh correlation there um so it's just it's just it's like uh it's a good and bad thing you know um yin and yang yeah Oh, for sure. Well, it sounds like you got the sheep fever, so we got to get you to sheep week, and we got to get you to less than one club, and then you can win one of those sheep yeah. tags and go hunting. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, so it'll be my first year. I attended virtually during okay. during uh, during the the virtual sheep week um, during COVID. Um, so I, I was there virtually, um, but this will be my first year in attendance, and uh, we'll have a booth there for Seek Outside, actually. I just bought our plane tickets today. Um, nice. So, you know, we'll be there. We'll have stuff to look at, um, you know, tents, backpacks, all the good stuff. And, yeah, uh, hopefully can get uh, get a sheep hunt under my belt where I'm the hunter. Um, you know, going to be putting in for, for Colorado like I always do. I've got some points built up. Um, got more points than my buddy did when he drew. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, hopefully I can be as lucky as him. 
Um, but yeah, going to keep trying because I do, I have the sheep fever bad. Um, it, it's really bad at this point, especially after that successful hunt this year. Um, man, the, the bug bit me bad. It's yeah. Yeah. And then once you get the tag, it's even worse probably too. Right. So that's awesome. Oh man. If I get a tag in my pocket, I'll probably be worthless for a whole year. Um, at least a whole summer. I'll just be thinking about it nonstop. I'll be spending my time on the computer research and spending my time in the mountains scouting if I, you know, if I'm doing it here locally, which is a cool thing about where I live too. It's like local hunting, which I know for you guys it is, but not everyone gets to really experience uh, having sheep in their backyard. And uh, that's unfortunate because it's super cool. In fact, one time I was duck hunting in a, just like a little pond um, but that it's got a creek, uh, creek running off the mountain right next to it, <clears throat> you know, so it was November or so. And all of a sudden me and my dad start hearing these just like bangs and we're like, I don't, I don't think it's rifle season. You know, uh, I think that we're in a dead week or something like that at the time. So we're looking around, looking around and it's echoing, you know, in this Canyon that we're kind of like tucked in small Canyon, but Canyon, um, and uh, we look up, and there's uh, Rocky Mountain bighorns up there just hammering away. Ewes, wow. rams, two big, very nice, mature rams. And we were duck hunting, of all things. Like, it was just so random. And, uh, yeah, we ran to the truck, got binos, and just – we didn't duck hunt for the rest of the day. We just sat there and watched them as long as they sat there and fought. So, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a shame that not everyone gets to experience them in their backyard, but, um, you know, if you do get to experience them, I feel like you just can't help but drop everything and, and, and watch and, and look. Yeah. Awesome, man. For sure. You guys have your booth number at sheep, uh, sheep week. You probably don't have it handy. Do you? Not like I'm putting you on the spot. It's not like we're doing a podcast. Or right. Yeah. I'm like, ah, gosh, uh, confirmation. <laughs> Here we go. 1378 1378 okay well i'll come and look you up mm-hmm. at sheep week for sure lee and uh yeah yeah stop by and we'll talk yeah. uh talk some more gear check check out the new stuff that you got there throw on some packs it'll be fun so yeah yeah hey yeah. uh i'm hoping that we'll have some new stuff at that time um not confirmed whether we're gonna have new stuff in 2023 or not um, but, uh, we're always working on projects. We never aren't working on projects here at seek. So, um, yeah, you never know. She, sheep show might have a, a new tent sitting in the booth. Might not. We don't know. <laughs> right on. Good reason to come and see you guys. So yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, we'll keep everyone in suspense. <laughs> right on. Well, I can't thank you yeah. enough for making time for us today and just touching base on what's, what you guys got going yeah. on over there. Um, just thank you for all you do for conservation and support the things that we all love and, um, and for your innovation, man, it's really cool. I, I, I love the, uh, like the lightweight stuff, but the, the lightweight stuff that works, I don't like the lightweight stuff that doesn't work. And, uh, and right, you guys yeah. have that reputation. Yeah. So, of uh, of being the ones that well, do work. So. Yeah, I really appreciate the, the kind words and, you know, I got to give a shout out to the team when, when I get praise like that, cause it just, just so happens that I get to be sometimes the face and the voice, but you know, there's definitely a lot of people behind the scenes making the thing go, you know, designing the products. Like I, I, I get something and I am like a Neanderthal and I try to break it. 
and then they're like, oh, okay, so we got to do this here, you know, different cut here, X, Y, Z, different uh, buckle, you know, because Lee sucks and he just throws things around. Um, but, uh, you know, I got to give a shout out to the team, you know, and everyone involved, even, like I said, those seasonal people in college who are coming in and seam sealing for like four hours a day, just picking up a shift when we got work for them, you know, hats off to them too, because they're also showing up to those conservation projects and, and doing the thing. So it's not just me. And I I just get to be the guy who gets on the podcast and um, I'm really thankful for it, but yeah, thank you for all the kind words. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of your fall. Yeah, you guys as well. Have a good one.